Sam Ruff. Well, you already knew that. Today I talked to the writer Kathleen Rooney. We talk about, uh, well, writing, of course, teaching, uh, our current bizarre cultural moment, um, and many more issues. Uh, I hope you enjoy the talk as much as I did. We will be done whenever you say we're done. Okay, great, great. <laughs> yeah, and if there's like a natural endpoint prior to that, that's like yeah, totally no, no. Valid. There's not, there's not a time limit uh, on either side. You know, if it's yeah. if, if all we got is 15 minutes, then, then that's what it's gonna be. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, we got more than that. So yeah. yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, they've gone. They've ranged from an hour to the 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 longest one so far is two and a half hours. I did two Whoa. and a half, which is kind of intense. But yeah, who was that? Uh, the, the the musician Emmett Kelly. I don't know oh, if you know okay, who he, cool. who, who yeah, he yeah, is. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. I'm not familiar. He uh, he plays, I mean, he's probably best known for playing with uh, Will Oldham, you know, Bonnie oh, yeah, Prince yeah. Billy and stuff. He's been in his bands forever, but he had a band, a long-running band called the Cairo Gang. Uh, he was oh, okay. here, and then, but he's kind of back in California where he's from. And, uh, cool, cool. So, yeah, a lot of musicians, it turns out, uh, yeah. are, are coming up because I basically raided my contacts list and sent a query to everybody I knew who I knew I could have a long conversation with. And nice. To, to my delight slash horror, like everybody said yes. Yeah, yeah. Which I is see. kind of crazy. <laughs> it is, it is, but that's a great problem to have. I know, I know. It's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah I, like like everything I do, I tend to de- dive into the deep end of the pool. So right, right, right. Everything works out. I'm basically booked into the fall. Fantastic! Like from, I'm I'm glad I got in early. Yeah, po- posting these. Uh, yeah, once a week they're gonna come out on Wednesdays. So nice, nice. Yeah, I'll definitely share it around. Thank. Yeah, and that, yeah, I'm gonna depend on you all to do that because I ain't going back to Twitter. So I know <laughs> <laughs> that's a wise move. My Twitter days are over. Well, now you know it's. I mean, they're you know it's the icing on the cake now that it's about to turn into Musk chat or Musk yeah. Musk talk or whatever the hell it's gonna yeah. be. Liber- Ugh. Stinky. Libertarians today or... <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah. Ayn Rand speaks. <laughs> yeah, totally. The fountainhead. Yeah, I know. It's just going to be Musk and like Zuckerberg and the and like Bezos. Like yeah, ha- having having a circle jerk for like yeah. 24-7. <laughs> yeah, billionaire circle jerk. I know, which, I mean, we're living in anyway, so yeah. Yeah, ugh. No, I, I, I feel I... I, I uh, ditched Twitter at just the right time because it was in the run-up to the 2016 election. I quit in 2015, so. Oh, prescient. Well, yeah, it's one of the few, you know, uh, this one time the crystal ball worked out in my favor, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I, um, I still have, you know, I would never, ever tell anyone to use it or stay on it, but I still have a good experience there, but I think I do not confuse my own positive experience with any bigger trends and i think obviously it's been so terrible for democracy and the discourse and just how people talk to each other in real life so yeah it's i mean it's bad on so many levels uh, not least of which is that you know creative people writers and such just use up a lot of good material that they should be using elsewhere yeah for providing free stuff for for these people that you know and look it's their hamster wheel, and they're entitled to plunder it for whatever they like. I think yeah. uh, that's the other <laughs> yeah. side of it. Uh, that's true. So that the outrage of like, well, we're entitled to have this for free. Like, why? No, we're right. not. You know, like. No, totally. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I just I read a book um, recently um, that was kind of about some of that. It was called Psychopolitics. It's um, neoliberalism and new technologies of power. Yeah. So obviously social media is in that. And it's by, um, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. He's a, um, a German-Korean philosopher, Byung-Chul Han, um, H-A-N. And it, um, it's a lot about that. It came out with Verso books. So it's mm. kind of got that, you know, mm, contrarian left mm. perspective. And it's really brief. It's just like all killer, no filler. And it's it talks about that, like how kind of giving stuff away for free or having that internalized grinder die 24 seven hustle mentality. And he's sort of talking about like, how can Marxism 
be updated in a world where most people don't go to a factory mm-hmm. and there's not an overseer external to you, but the overseer has been like perfectly subsumed into the individual. Yeah, and no, no, the overseer's <laughs> inside. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And that's Twitter too, I think, just that like Yeah, it's in, in, in there, like inside there's a there's a there's a man screaming at you to, you know, Arbach Arbeit macht frei, you know, basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, just just always producing content even the way that I don't know, like getting emails from from people who don't know me but who are reaching out for stuff, which of course I'm grateful for, you know, opportunities but up to a point. How, but yeah, but how they also, you know, even refer to you like as you know, like a tastemaker or a creative. Dear, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Dear oh. content producer. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, I get those for, for reviews sometimes yeah. review shit. And it's boy, like you you, you could have uh, your bedside manner is really lacking. Like you could yeah. have personalized this. You could have told the bot that's sending out these uh these mass emails to you know to do a little bit like a click a couple of more times to personalize it you know yeah or like honestly it's just like a creepy insult i'd rather they say like dear shithead or something like just dear content creators like oh no (laughs) no thank you yeah yeah dear yeah dear whatever underling yeah yeah just go go with the real insult yeah i mean you know i review movies sometimes and i keep getting these emails from these uh, PR people that are invites to festivals in like Seattle. Like, yeah. are you fucking flying me out there? Right. Like, like just do a little bit of homework. You know, I'm in Chicago. That's, it's very easy to find out where I am. No, know? totally. Yeah, no, it's so automated <laughs> and sinister. It's just so depersonalized. It, which is it's, like... it's real crummy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've talked a lot with my students. I teach at um, DePaul, obviously. Yeah. And like, especially in my 101 class where we're trying to Oh, so you're to like... teaching freshmen. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. for the most part or the, you know, or the seniors who've put off their requirements until the bitter end, which is another, you know, another breed yeah. of student, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um but yeah, just even like the way that they notice the the depersonalization of of education too and and I don't know, it takes a lot of like convincing them to help them understand that like I do, like, using the first person is okay. They can say I. You know, it doesn't have to be this, this like, distant. Uh, like, it's almost like they've been turned into bots huh. before they got to me. Interesting. Um, like, they just produce. They're like, I just, just, like, give me the word count, give me the page count, and I'll produce the content. And it's like, I'm not, to be clear, I hate when people shit talk their students, and I'm not, yeah. you know, I hate the game, not the player. But I think there's just something about the way... No, but they've they've it's been treated as content, not as a creative process. You know, they've been inculcated with this. They grew, you know, they've lived their whole life with these damn machines. So yes, exactly. exactly. Just, I mean, down to the word content, which just irks me to no end. Like content to me equals filler. It's like yes, there's just this absence that needs to be filled with something, and it's called content. And yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not making content. I write, I write things sometimes. I paint things they, they are not content right no <laughs> totally yeah yeah it's just and like people have just color. given up and they like otherwise intelligent people use this fucking this vocabulary these words these slogans yeah. you know and i don't know i'm i'm never going to be okay with it it just sticks in my craw in the in the most irritating like i just i wince you know no totally yeah it's it's really cringe yeah words matter i just yeah i'm not a fan they do um, if you're a fucking writer you should consider which words you use to describe your activities yeah. like i'm not a content producer i'm neither am i a cultural worker there's another one like yeah that's some like friggin marxist dystopia that i don't want to be any totally, part of that's 1984 totally. you know like i that's grim. I, I'm not yeah. doing it. <laughs> no, no, it's it's so gross. But um, yeah, no. So I think I mean I don't know. And like the, it's like the depersonalization. I I don't know. I can't tell. Like, like I can't tell totally if that's just from social media or other yeah. places. And I think I don't know. It's it, it to me goes too with like this thing that I'm noticing where it's like hard to convince beginning writers but i'm excited because it's my job yeah to not to to reflect and to not just react like it also seems like there's this instinct of like when a subject is put before them to let whatever quote-unquote content is produced come from a place of just like 
I agree or I disagree. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that's okay to feel that. But like, we don't want the light switch. We want the like oscillation in the gray area, like reflect Mm -hmm. on it. You don't have to just like thumbs up it or thumbs down it, you know? Yeah. Some of them seem, uh, and this is something I read. And then I ran by a a friend who was a, you know, millennial. She's like 31, 32. Yeah. And that somebody in some essay somewhere, which I've long forgotten now, uh, said that millennials, like what passes for a lot of their identities or personality is the, just this collection of brands that they use. Yeah. Like that, if you list, say, you know, Nike, Apple, whatever you use, Spotify, that that will indicate to whoever you're, you know, come into contact with what you're about. And I ran this by my friend Mallory and, uh, you know, it gave her pause because like it was like being found out kind of like that that's enough to signal like the brands that you use. Yeah. That like that makes you who you are. And that's deeply, deeply fucked up to me. Well, yeah, no, I think it's (laughs) smart that you bring that up because like obviously like that, you know, if there's content being produced, then someone's consuming it. And so this whole idea that like all these forces are conspiring to construct you as a particular type of yeah. consumer so then that, may, that checks out you know all we're left to do is reshuffle the brands or how much like you know three three apple points versus five you know microsoft points yeah yeah and yeah. add like whatever jamba juice and that that that's you right <laughs> yeah and i think i mean i don't know and it, that's an interesting thing to consider like in tandem with like the more i think stereotypical gen x thing of like that whole like nick hornby high fidelity like you know it's not what you're like it's what you like where Mm. like your taste kind of you know you're like i like this band or i've read this book you know like yeah but that's david foster wallace or whatever that's who i am so that's like it's interesting to compare the actually uh, i recorded a talk with another musician, Rick Rizzo from the band 11th Dream Day yesterday, and he's a boomer. He's 65. Oh, wow. uh, and we talked a, a little bit about this, the uh, generational divides and how Gen X, which is, I am, uh, I, are you Gen X or are you? I'm, I'm right on the cusp. Are you, I'm like, are you an right, elder millennial? I'm, yeah, a, ger- a geriatric millennial, yes. <laughs> yeah, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Such a horrible term. All these terms um, are horrendous, but. Uh, yeah. Where he, but he was, uh, Rick was saying that, and it's super true, is that Gen X is kind of like the forgotten generation in between boom, boomers and millennials, because there's more of both of those than there is of us. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I don't know if you've heard. I'm I'm fascinated with, um, I mean, I think because I, I like, you know, distinctions and precision, and I think that's mm-hmm. part of being a writer. Part of what I like about being a writer is not, not the binary, like, put one in a bucket, yeah. put one in the other bucket, but that... Um, struggle to describe and and understand like like phenomenology just like what is it like what is Uh it like and so um micro generations fascinate me because those are like the weird blend and so I am technically I read (laughs) this article on thought catalog a few years ago so Mm -hmm. a bit old but I think still reputable um and it was saying that um I'm the Oregon Trail generation. That's the people who are like at the very tail end. Is that after like, the Appalachian Trail? Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You migrate uh-huh. to the Northwest. Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's, yeah what is that? What's the or- yeah, Explain that I, to me. I want to say it's like, I, I could be getting this wrong because like the years are always like yeah. whatever, but like I think it's roughly like 1979 to 1984. Ah. And it's that little sliver where it's the tail end of X and the very beginning of millennial. And those are the people who kind of like have some Xy tendencies, like they have that, um, like independence. Mm-hmm. They weren't quite as helicopter parented. Yeah, you know, they like walk themselves to school and were like maybe sure. latchkey kids. But they also, you know, had email and technology like in their heads when they were still youth, like not when they had gone away to college or when they were in high school. They were like in junior high or whatever. Yeah. So they just have like. I don't know. I, of course, probably I like it because it's like flattering and it was like, this is the best. You know, they have one foot in X and one foot in, in you know, millennials. So you're the best of both worlds <laughs> yeah. is what you're trying to tell me. Yeah, and they're they're nowhere as obnoxious as either one alone. So I right. can take it with a grain of salt. But I did think it was fascinating because I think, you know, here to go back to the overall thing, like, I mean, all generations are really, uh, you know, depending on the use you put them to is, is marketing categories, right? The demographic, you know, the coveted yeah. like 18 to 34 year old demographic with a lot of disposable income. So, you know, it's interesting to think about all that. 
Yeah, but yeah, that... the the thing that you were talking about the the Nick Hornby kind of like defining people by their tastes in that very anachronistic, like forgotten way. It, it's what I mean. It's what evolved into you know what people called hipsters, basically. Right. Uh, which is very quickly became a slur. I mean, when when I was driving a cab here in the in the mid the first decade of the 2000s, I would hear yuppies say that word the same way they'd say like the n-word you know yeah. like yeah it, it was very so quickly yeah, yeah but we had to have that because the fucking mass culture we grew up with was garbage right and everything that was worth worth finding out about was underground in the 80s i mean <laughs> no totally and i think i mean that's what's interesting too that's now that's lot... where that came out of you know? right right and a lot of my students now i mean it's been a real visible sea change as i went from like kind of the youngest mm-hmm. millennials that i taught to gen z right. uh, who are basically the children of x you know with right. exceptions but for the most part and they have this like interesting like everything all the time like distinctions have mostly just been you know shattered and like I do this assignment for my um youth and malice class where I have them write um do you know you know the blog large-hearted boy where it's like sure yeah. Notes? yeah 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 I've, do, I've done You've like probably done them yeah I've done like five or six for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that guy that do... guy's that guy is just an indefatigable like, yes, promoter he's of uh, writers wonderful I mean, yeah he's just speaking about machines i don't know how that guy functions you know, i know like, i know it's amazing i'm like you know bless him he's yeah. he's he's been going a, for so long too i know like, yeah all our rose metal press authors do them but i had them basically do that assignment for their own oh make a pieces. playlist for for their yeah. writing yeah and it's it's been really fun because they're just as likely to say you know, like Fleetwood Mac or like A Tribe Called Quest as they are to like put like Billie Eilish or Harry sure. Styles. So there's just, not that that wasn't possible before, but it just seems, it's super interesting. I'm, I'm interested in the way that they... Oh, it's, yeah, it's much more possible. And yeah, another thing that came up with in my talk with Rick the other, yesterday, yeah. the, the fact that the, the bands and the, the musicians coming up now, they draw on this, you know, like basically all of history, which seems to be coming from the same plane or the same time. Yeah. Like all of, you know, you can get Gregorian chants and like some kind of weird glitch, you know, techno thing. And, you know, it, they're one click away from each other, which means they're from the same place. Right. So you get bizarre, bizarre combinations of things in, in, in new music. And it yeah. seems to, there's no way to suss out how one thing connects to another as you used to be able to. And I don't know that that's a qualitative judgment it's just an observation of what is you know? yeah no, no totally and I think I mean that's it's interesting to see that like um voraciousness with regard to consumption of of like art and music and literature and then also like I don't know I've been thinking a lot about like ideas and how ideas are you know as subject to trends and fashion as anything mm-hmm. else but how yeah. there's like a tendency it just like the the like historic amnesia that is typical to Americans and like how yeah. that's going to manifest itself or not in Gen Z. And like, I don't know, I'm doing research for like a new project that's, you know, many probably years from existing, but it's mm. um, like, I was reading a book today about like attitudes toward the wilderness. It's actually, um, maybe you've heard of it. It's pretty famous. It's wilderness in the American mind. It's by Roderick Fraser Nash. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah. It's, um, it's good. It's it's but it's it's like kind of an intellectual history of. I mean, the I'll wilderness. you know I'm the guy that will tell anybody uh, that that I hate nature, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I won't even read that book. <laughs> well, here's like you're gonna like this then, because like here's the thing, like, um, you know, obviously now for for the most part, you know, people are like, hell yeah, nature, you know, yeah. it's awesome, protect it, let's go camping. I hate yeah. camping. I love nature, but I'd rather like eat my own arm yeah, off yeah. than go camping. But he's talking about how that for like for a long, long time you know, humankind's orientation in the West toward the wilderness was very negative. And it's only yeah. recent that people have romanticized it. And he, there's this great passage where he um, says, uh, I'll find it because I've got the book right here. He says, mountains, for example, had generally been regarded in the early 17th century as warts, pimples, blisters, and other ugly deformities on the Earth's surface. Names of individual <laughs> peaks, such as the... The devil's arse in England yeah, yeah. <laughs> suggested the prevailing opinion, and then you know, he, and then he talks about how you know by by a hundred years later, 
that was starting to change. But I guess just to pick up the thread, like it's it's so interesting to me to see super concrete so, examples so, of ideas changing, you know. So yeah, it wasn't thought of as a purple mountain's majesty quite yet, huh? No, no, the devil's <laughs> the devil's ours. Yeah. Yeah, that that doesn't <laughs> so, sound like purple mountain's majesty. <laughs> no. No. But I, I, I think that's like so interesting too. And I'm I'm gonna be interested to see how you know, just like what they know about history and what their attitude is. Because I think there is, you know, and it's not unique to any generation, but I think there is, in addition to like the historical amnesia, there's this tendency to think that, um, oh, you know, we're we're progressing upwards and that like in yeah. the past, we as a species have been like benighted and wrong and now we're moving sure. toward what's right. And it's like, I don't know. No. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I know it's not true and it's fun to look at history and see how this stuff has changed just like, Mm-hmm. you know skirt lengths or whatever you know yeah i mean yeah I, i'm i'm certainly m- much more uh apt apt to to scream about boomers than about millennials personally yeah. but uh i like millennials at least the ones i've dealt with much better on average than boomers yeah uh, yeah yeah it's it's weird it's weird to think about so yeah i don't know it's fun generations i, I guess i think just in my line of work i think about it a lot so sure yeah yeah because yeah you see them every i watch day. them change you know yeah but uh, yeah i mean it's amazing on a lot of levels like you know i've you know I've hung out in coffee shops like all my life basically yeah. <laughs> and uh just watching the last few years uh i live in bridgeport and this one coffee shop i go to you know, over the last, say, I moved here in 2015, and in 2015, most of the employees and a lot of the the regulars there could be easily identified and self-identify as male or female. Right. And uh, within a couple of years after that, at least half of them would not and yeah. could not be either from outside or inside. And, and now I, I, I don't know if any of them would. Right. Yeah, yeah, I read. I just read that like yeah, amazing, twenty. Yeah, amazing. Thing over twenty percent of people are now like identifying in Gen Z as um, non-binary or trans or some you know subset, which is again, right. I, I love stuff like that where you see that's like, a the remarkable ideas thing it, changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, and it's cool when people because so much of it is like you're saying like qualitative or anecdotal. Like you notice it around you. I mean, it's hard not to. But then to. And I don't know where, like, what the source exactly. I mean, it was in the New York Times. I don't know the study. I don't know the methodology. But it's interesting. When well, if it if it makes quantity. it to the New York Times, you know it it is it has been around for at least five years. Yeah, <laughs> like, the New York Times is on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I look to the New York Times to find out what the establishment, you know, like what the powers that be think. Right. No, not not to find out about new trends. But, totally. But you know, on the other on the other hand, because I'm old. I'll find out in the New York Times about Billie Eilish, you know, right? <laughs> that's yeah. how I started listening. And I, I really like Billie Eilish, but the, the New York Times had to tell me that because I was, you know, when I found out about her, I was coming up on 50, you know? Like, yeah, no, totally. So. I mean, I do think sometimes they, they break interesting stuff. Like, I don't know if you know the, um, the British musician Pink Pantheress uh-uh. at all. She's, I'll look, I would recommend, I'll look her up. check her out. Yeah. Pink Pantheress. Um, she's, really cool as far as i know her full real she's done a good job of keeping her actual identity a lot of a lot of them are secret yeah (laughs) yeah but she's this this english like songwriter and producer and she um she's kind of famous for these like super super short songs Mm -hmm. where she samples like older stuff from like the late 90s and like house and like dub and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and it's um She's really good. And I think I like I remember like last quarter, I like blew my students minds by like knowing who she was. And Mm. that was, you know, thanks to me dorkily reading a little thing about her in the New York Times style section. So I say they never did anything for me, you know. No, 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 no. I mean, there's tons of stuff to criticize about the New York Times. But uh, I, you know, I I, I read it every day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) I, I don't. I, I don't know that young. I don't know that your students would, or maybe even should. Uh, I don't know that they need to, but I yeah. feel like I do. Uh, yeah. No, I enjoy it, and I think too. I mean, weird things about like you know learning about stuff like in your own town too. Like I, I remember because I do poems while you wait, the typewriter poetry thing, and way back in like 2011, when my friend mm-hmm. Dave Landsberger and I were like just getting started. Um, you know, and thinking like, where, where can we go set up our typewriters? Like where are some, some places that would be good for this? I read a thing in like the style section about dose market, which now doesn't exist anymore. But it was like one of these moments where I was like happy and also annoyed that 
it was like this thing in my own city that ended up being perfect and we ended yeah. up homing there a ton that I only knew about from the New York Times. It was a no, I, I was very ambivalent about that. I mean, I, I read their book reviews for things to pitch to review to other places all the time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Because <laughs> obviously, you know, they get sent all the books. Right. <laughs> I, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know about all the books. I get, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you get bombarded with books you'll never want to read all the time I do sometimes not so much I do I do it's um I mean I try you know like my my big thing is I you know I get contacted so much and I always just try to manage expectations and say like have a look you know because I will I'm open to having my mind blown by something that I thought I wouldn't like but yeah usually I can tell right but you know I don't know. Yeah, I just a recent one that I just reviewed that I, I like want to recommend to everyone is um, this uh, book called Life Ceremony by like the Japanese author Sayaka Murata. She wrote mm. um, Convenience Store Woman. Okay, is, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, big like super big hit in English in 2016. Mm. I really liked it. I feel like it's it could also, you know, it's it's very stylish. So I think it's one of those things that because it's so aggressive in its style, you know, it's a mm. love hate thing. I loved it, um, but it's her short stories and they're just like super weird she just takes these like simple premises Mm -hmm. and then just pushes them to their absurd limits like Ah. stuff like um cannibalism or like making furniture out of the bones of dead people or like keeping a middle-aged man as a pet like just Mm. these like things you know like by doing it she's (laughs) like it's kind of weird like you come away from it being like it's sort of weird to like eat any food at all or it's sort of weird to keep any sentient being as a pet and she's not she's not like i I hope i'm not making it sound like too argumentative or pedantic she's not saying like therefore we should all be vegan she's just sort of like this is weird i just want to show you how weird this is well yeah basically yeah you you follow that argument sooner or later you become a shaker and you 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 work yourself out out of existence right you know like, <laughs> yeah you know totally. what i mean that's a, totally which is a totally valid argument to, you know like yeah i, I could see i could see the merits of that <laughs> yeah you know no, it's like totally. yeah my, my favorite bumper sticker from probably the 80s or 90s you know save the planet kill yourself yes you know? yeah like yeah you want to you want to solve for climate change there i have a solution for you yeah yeah <laughs> because yeah, the, no. the planet will be fine uh, you know once we're right. gone once we're gone it'll be fine yeah <laughs> we're, yeah we're no, the virus back. yeah yes no totally yeah my friend um eric platner who does yeah. pulls weight with us and teaches at DePaul. i think i think i'm getting this right i mean he'll you know he'll listen to the episode and correct me later but Uh, Our fact checkers, uh, I have rigorous fact checkers for (laughs) for this show, so don't worry about it. Oh my god, that's another thing to talk about is fact checkers, but um, (laughs) yeah, uh, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also just yeah, it's interesting, but um, (laughs) yeah, he teaches. I think it's R. D. Lang, the like Scottish psycho. That's the behavioral. uh, What is what is R. D. Lang's whole thing? His whole thing. He does um, like his one of his famous books was Knots. Um, it gets name checked in like the watchman you know um but he's like he's a a scottish psychiatrist and he um was really interested in like psychosis like the experience of psychosis Um, and like what makes people crazy and stuff like that but he has this thing in one of his pieces of writing that basically says that like we are all you know pimps and murderers you know which mm, is the same idea you know it's like this he basically like check yourself you know if you think sure if you think you're not a net negative yeah. on the planet you're you're wrong yeah but that... but he's not saying kill yourself but he's like you, you just need to like reframe it and understand the damage you know yeah i think yeah in the, this this cultural moment that we're living through where people are casting judgments left and right yeah it, it, it would be behoove a lot of us to to know that sooner or later you know the the judgments will come for us and yes know, for, totally for yeah every, every statue that you take down you, you erect you know the statue to your heroes and those heroes are yeah, gonna fall yeah. so maybe totally. don't erect statues anymore right don't be, no don't exactly. be so fucking sure of yourself either <laughs> no more you know? statues. Yeah. yeah yeah like maybe a statue to an abstract concept but oh yeah that. The <laughs> other recent recording like uh uh the guest and i uh came to the conclusion that even you know there should only really be statues to dogs. Even yeah. ca- even cats could be found out later to be like no, Nazi- totally. closet Nazis, yeah. but dogs, no. Dogs, no, are, I agree. dogs are perfect. Yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> statues, actually, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, it's been a while now, but um, Martin, my um, 
husband Martin C., who's also yeah. a writer, his parents took us a few years back now on a Alaska trip mm. as part for their 50th wedding anniversary. Like that's what they wanted was to get the whole family together and take us on a trip, which was so oh, that's cool so generous. funny. That's what my parents did. They took that cruise, and I wouldn't go with them because I didn't want to be stuck <laughs> on a ship. Everybody Luckily, else this was this was not a cruise. Like that is so true. We told them no cruise, so it was a tour. <laughs> but we were only ever on like buses and stuff like oh, that, okay. and planes, so it was bearable. I would you would I would not go on. I'd have to be unconscious. Yeah, I met them all in trip. Vancouver, which I'd never. I'd, I was always curious about Vancouver, and that's kind of an amazing city. It is. Yeah. It's like a tinker toy. It's like a model train type city. It's like yeah. somebody just assembled it, like all this beautiful architecture totally. and the bridges and water. Yeah, and, yeah. But also, you know, overrun with opioid addiction. Right. You yeah. Know, like lots of yeah, people out on their jacked. feet, just like yeah. horrendous. Well, it's a port, you know, kind of yeah. like all those no, places. That, yeah. Uh, but. Yeah. Yeah, they all continued on and got on the damn ship, you know, where no. you just, all you do is, <laughs> you know, eat eat the buffet all day and then have, you know, Kodak moments every now and then. But no, I, I yeah. just flat refused to do it. So No, nightmare, nightmare. <laughs> Luckily, this was not that, thank God. But we, I, like, one of my, like, it's funny, my favorite part of the trip, I think this is true. I just, <laughs> I love urban environments and I'm fascinated yeah. by cities and, you know, that's why I love walking in cities. But my, my favorite part I would say is Anchorage, which mm. I don't think anyone else on the trip would say that, but just being in the city. And that's where we saw the statue to, um, Balto, you know, the dog, the famous dog who, who the Iditarod, you know, mm. came after cause he brought the, you know, the serum, um, oh, to okay. save all the, all the townspeople up in, I think it was Nome, Alaska. Nice. Um, he was a, a Siberian husky. Yeah. And it was like a diphtheria outbreak, and they didn't have the, that's not the right, the antidote, whatever, mm-hmm. the medicine. And he took yeah. the medicine and, like, saved all the kids and stuff. So it was a really moving statue. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'd be comfortable with just, uh, you know, every city just researching, figuring out what their most famous dog is and having yeah. that in the town square. <laughs> yes. I, I think that, that, would, that would be uncancelable. You know, like... Yeah, no, totally. Balto's pretty uncancelable. I mean, you can like I, I feel like you could go on his Wikipedia now and yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a bizarre. Find anything bad? Yeah, what list? Whatever listeners uh, I get for this, like it, it's like become a thread to discuss this this uh, this cancellation thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not remotely arguing against making people that act badly answer for their behavior. I'm I'm just I'm just concerned that swinging into this uh, into a like an absolute righteousness is yes. not, not a great move in the even in the short term no mid-term, totally. and that's, you know? <laughs> yeah no no and I think that's like why it's so important I, I don't know I think about it a lot in relation to my um you know work as a reviewer and then also work as a teacher to kind of because I think there is this prevailing and this goes to my kind of part of what I was like drifting towards with the fact checkers mm-hmm. I mean the truth matters yes and exists and we should you know, preserve and protect it. However, I think it leads quickly to this um, uh, fetishization of knowing as mm-hmm. opposed to understanding. Yeah. And that's a problem. Like we know, I mean, just to take the Balto example, like somebody's going to dig up some dirt and now we know Balto was bad. And it's yeah. just like, well, but he still saved all those kids from diphtheria. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Balto's a complicated person. I don't know. You know, Absolutely. it's just, and you, but too many people want to know. Also equating you know, the art and the artist. Yes. And I'm sorry, but like, if we only accepted art by good people, we'd have very little good art. You know, like artists are fucked up for a variety of reasons. And they put the best of themselves into their thing, be it a book or a painting or a song. Yeah. And that, that thing outlives them is, and is better than them. And like, if they are more interesting than their, the, the thing, then they're not very good artists, you know? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> no, totally. And I think, I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like, it's weird that artists are also kind of held to that higher standard sometimes by some sure. people, because, like, normal people aren't like that. It's just weird to think of, like, again, that fetishization of the artist as this, like, special figure, because if it, like... Yeah, have a very bad idea that, I don't know, it began in the 19th century, early 20th century, where yeah. this idea of the, the genius artist was born. Somebody yeah. made that up at some point. I think it was 19th century. I blame the romantics like Percy yeah. Shelley and yeah know, these uh, and yeah these Wordsworth, yeah, pre pre Raphaelites and stuff <laughs> yeah like, yeah, yeah the, the romantic heroes of, yeah of a normal person like if it was like like a plumber you yeah. know like you need a plumber and you're only gonna use the most immaculately pure 
morally virtuous. Yeah, when you hire plumber. a plumber, you don't <laughs> like, like you, you don't find out if he beats his wife. You know, like it's it's right. horrible if he does, and he should answer for that. But he could still fix fix your sink. Exactly. Like, yeah. So no matter if he, he's even a fucking monster. Yes. Like a monster. Yeah. Like if he's a monster with the the skills and know how, then you're gonna hire him. Unfortunately, like sad to say. <laughs> right, and you're not, and you're not going to know because no. it's also just not going to be this matter of, of extensive public no. record where you know you have to like yeah. figure it out and answer for it yourself, or people are going to judge you. So it's just, but, yeah, it's yeah. weird. I mean, there are unique things with you know creative people, artists, writers, where, I mean, the good ones are able to imagine themselves into other other bodies and yes. other beings, and that is also under sort of under fire now. And that's a that's a very very bad idea because that will kill art. Uh, if yes. you can only speak as yourself at all times, uh, I mean, most people are fucking boring, <laughs> you know. No, like, totally. Including art, including artists, their everyday life is not worth sharing with anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I think I have to think that I I feel like we're in the middle of like a really Mm, significant overcorrection yeah. on that. Yeah, for sure. And I, you exactly. know, the pendulum is going to have to... I'm glad you, you, you're using that, uh, the overcorrection thing. I've, I've been using that argument for a while. Yeah, But yeah. it's it, it puts you in a very dicey spot to question any of this stuff. Right. Because it aligns you with some real fucking monsters, you know? <laughs> and no, I, totally. I would never do that. So, yeah, like, I'm I'm not springing Harvey Weinstein out of jail anytime soon. No, hell soon, no. You know, like, no. <laughs> no. And look, and there are people running around out there that have not been made to answer for their actions. So, like Roman Polanski should be in jail. Yes. But, but I can't, I can't deny like five, six, seven of his movies as absolute masterpieces. Yeah, and I, yeah. I can't write him off. I, I know there are people that can, but I can't. Yeah. Well, I think there's. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are talking about it, but I want to say Claire Dieterer, the writer, like the. Um, nonfiction writer has a book coming out about this and I, I haven't read it so I, I don't know but I think she kind of gets at a lot of that stuff where she she kind of tries to sort that stuff out like in a very again in a very like understanding it's, 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 not knowing based way it's not easy I mean and it's it's got to be case by case you know like whereas on the other hand I I'm, I'm ready to throw Woody Allen out like baby yes. and bathwater and all because <laughs> yeah. but to me uh woody allen has never made a masterpiece like he's never made anything that the world can't live without right that's me yeah. but that's that's a it's a that's but a, it's, again it's subjective so. that's an aesthetic judgment on my part which a lot of people would com- would completely disagree with yeah 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 and but also uh, a lot of the things that he's made are directly uh about the things that that he's done in his life that are not exactly. acceptable. Uh, right. So you can't like I I will absolutely fess up to uh, like once upon a time loving Manhattan, but that right. movie that movie is now unwatchable. I try. No, totally. Yeah. You, can, no, I you cannot even... watch it. Like you you cringe. It's, yes. It's, it's fucking horrible because he's telling you what he's what he's doing and what he's into and justifying it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's his like like public apology like sort of. I don't not apology. He's not because he's proud of it. That, yeah. That he can hook a teenage girl, but like. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, um, no, it's it's totally unwatchable. It's gross, yeah. and it it means he's a person with some very very serious issues, and he works them out in his art, you know. But I don't know that that art is worth keeping. Like right. other, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not in. I'm not the king of the world, so they will not be erased <laughs> off yeah. all the. His movies will not be erased off any hard drives at, at my bidding. And actually, right. I wouldn't give that directive anyways, because I think everybody should judge for themselves. I mean, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, something that I have been thinking a lot about, my friend um, Logan Barry, who I um, I recommend his work. He's cool. I don't know if you know him. He's um, living in California now, but he's moving back to Chicago in the summer, which is like the fantasy of mine. Like anytime a friend moves away, I'm like... Maybe they'll be back, and I know most of the time I'm just I I I telling myself. I think of all, all all of them as traitors. Yeah. And I don't yeah. I don't forgive easily. Right. Yeah. Well, I welcome him back with open arms. I'm like, you'll you'll see, you'll see. Um, but they're but he's coming back, which is great. But he um, so and he also I'll recommend his um, he's like one of the I think he's on 
break now. I think he's interim, but like artistic director of the Runaways Theater Company, which um, Jesse McCarty and Dylan Fahoum, just, they're the mm. ones running it now. But it's called, um, their tagline is Primo Weirdo Theater. So he loves, mm. he loves like button pushing stuff and yeah. stuff that's very like transgressive and stuff that's True. like super deliberately like walking with open arms toward the uncomfortable. And he, um, a couple of years back now, but like changed my life by sharing with me um, the Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick chapter from um, her book from, I want to say it came out like around the year 2000. So she was like way ahead of the curve, but it's on um, reparative versus paranoid reading and how there's this trend academically. And now it's kind of come out to the, the general discourse to read everything in a paranoid way and to assume that it's going to like quote unquote harm you oh so this is like the the triggers and all that like and not yeah and just and just always like reading something to find the moment where they mess up or where they say the wrong thing or whatever and she's like i you know she's she's not um i mean she's a queer theorist she's coming Mm -hmm. from you know she's she's the left criticizing the left in a in a way that i think has a lot of love and a lot of Mm -hmm. generosity but you know her thing is like instead of a paranoid reading you can also do a reparative reading. And I think it comes from like psychoanalysis and like Melanie Klein and stuff like that, where it it comes from like that world of like, okay, you had a terrible childhood. No one would ever say you didn't, your dad beat you. Your mom was a drunk, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, Melanie Klein would say like, okay, but what, like it couldn't have been literally all bad. Like what, like there, like, can you find the thing that you can get out of this appalling situation? And so Kosofsky Sedgwick is like, you can do that with, bad art too mm. so i think that's interesting you know on the on the not quite a counter argument but like in a different take on this uh a lot of uh, apologists for polanski will cite his history in that you know he fled the holocaust and then his wife was massacred by a by a crazy crazy right, cult right. leader as justification of the way he treated young girls uh but i mean th- what i'd say to that is that like almost the vast majority of Holocaust survivors have never harmed another soul. No, so how, totally. How did they make it through? Like, why is he so so fucking special? Right. That yeah, doesn't yeah. excuse what he did. You know. <laughs> no, totally. And I think the, the important yeah. thing too is like in and, and that like leap from like Klein talking about real people to Sedgwick talking about art. Like mm. Sedgwick doesn't really, at least in this passage that I'm talking about, this chapter doesn't really say like what to do with the actual people who made the art, but more yeah. like when you're looking at something and you're like oh, I'm watching Annie Hall, and it's actually, yeah. you know, really fucking sexist, sure. <laughs> like, offensive, which I, I think it is. Is there anything there that does do something for you? You know, and, and she's yeah. like, sometimes, sometimes the answer is no. And, so, right. and then throw it in the garbage for you. But yeah, uh, yeah, if, yeah if, if you don't accept, have some sort of context for when these movies were, were made, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of nuance. So, yeah. You know, if you watch any movie from before the civil rights era, the way that black Americans are treated in American movies is horrendous. Totally. And it's it's uniformly horrendous with very few exceptions. Yeah. And there's no denying that. But there's also no no denying that these films have some, you know, something of merit. And they are, every movie in a way is a documentary of its time, you know, like... No matter, how, even if it's like some kind of fantasy or something, even if it's a cartoon, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, and that's the thing, too, is that, um, like, Sedgwick kind of says that it, like, when you read too paranoically, you kind of, like, get your eye off the ball because paranoia yeah. places its faith in exposure. And so it reduces your reading to this, like, game of whack-a-mole where you're, like, yeah. like to your example, it's, like, yes, absolutely, if you watch, I mean like rear window there's that horrible part i mean gail pemberton's written a whole essay on it called do he have your number mr jeffrey where right where there's the phone call and then you just see this horrible caricature of this you know african-american housemaid and it's just you know it's dialect and it's shuffling it's just, it's horrible yep. and it, it it mars the movie and yes like you should find that and discuss it and not just like give it a pass but like sedgwick says that often a paranoid reading is like okay there i found it i exposed it and now I can throw this whole thing in a bucket marked harmful. Yeah. And, or, and she's yeah, like, that's, another, that's a, another a bad word, reading. Like another word that I'm really sick of, which is problematic. Yes. Like what yes. the fuck isn't like everything's problematic or everything's a problem. Yeah. Like, the word problematic is kind of uh, un- ugly because it has too many 
friggin' syllables in it. But, right. but like for me, like it, it's hard to get it out of your mouth. Yeah. It's, the, the, yeah. It's problematic just enunciating it, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so to that yeah. point, it's just like, you know, to read it's again. So like to, I don't want to misrepresent Sedgwick and, and get her in trouble, but I mean, she's <laughs> dead. So I guess she wouldn't really be troubled by she's them, ho- but... she's home free she's fine yeah. <laughs> we can say whatever we want about her <laughs> the ultimate she doesn't care yeah i know dying yeah um but yeah but her, her point is like not to not do that but that the problem becomes when that is like the highest priority of participating in art and and so she's yeah. just sort of like what if we had a more generous reading what if we had a more multifarious reading what if we could approach stuff in a way that's not purely paranoid like wouldn't that be better and i have to say i think yeah, that would be better, you know. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the, the I, I don't know that many blanket, like, whatever statements about the human bi- mind, but I'm sure of this is that all our minds are trained to see patterns. So once yes. you train your mind to look for something, you will find it. No, totally. Uh, it's and a, I think, it's I mean, a game of punch buggy, you know, like if yes. like people have to be a certain <laughs> age that. to know what punch buggy is, but <laughs> yes. because there are not enough VW bugs right. to play that game anymore. But yes, yes. Uh, I was we will, talking about that you will always Martin find yesterday. what you're looking. You, you will <laughs> always, always find what you're looking for. You know, if you start looking, that's totally. that's how our brains work. So, yeah, if if you're uh, looking to be offended, you will be offended. Right, right. And then also, like, nowadays in so many quarters, like, being offended gives you status. And so yeah, it's that's, very that's your brand. posture. That, that's, you know? It's like some kind of identity. You, you yeah. define yourself by the things that you find objectionable, which is, yeah. that's, not, that's not a personality. <laughs> you know, right. Like... <laughs> no, no. And I, I think, like, I mean, that's, that's what's interesting, too, is, like, I feel like the pattern thing is really important because... Pa- pattern finding is a sign of intelligence, you know, and that's one yeah. of the ways, like, you know, I, I'm obsessed with pigeons because I wrote Jeremy and Major Whittlesey yeah. and I love pigeons and I, I yeah. do really fully believe that they are, you know, beautiful creatures who are really smart, but one of the ways they figure out if pigeons and other animals are, you know, quote unquote intelligent, which of course is according to humans, right, sure. um, is, is the extent to which they can identify patterns, like can they tell you know, a Picasso from a Matisse, can they identify mm-hmm. words? Can they, you know, tell human faces apart? Stuff like that, like pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it is a sign of intelligence, but also it can get diseased very quickly where if you're just looking at the wrong pattern or ascribing a motive to a pattern. I mean, that's how, that's how you get, you know, conspiracy theories. and It's, it's all you see because that's yeah. all you're looking for. And, you know, you people always choose you can't ever see ever, the whole thing but right yeah the way i mean to my mind the, the way to appreciate a piece of art whatever whatever the medium is you got to judge it on its own terms like totally what it's, like what it's trying to do which isn't hard to figure out usually unless it's some super esoteric or obscurantist thing you know which is which means it's usually probably not for you anyway if you can't figure it out it's not for you you yeah well no totally and also like too even with that like if you can't figure it out like accepting like i mean some stuff is just inane and dumb so there's always that like leave the door open to that but it's like this idea of like you know in philosophy like epistemic humility which is basically like the best philosophers admit that they like have no idea what they're talking about. So I think that's good too, to just be like, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I don't know all about this. Maybe there's, you know, like, what am I missing? So. And also that this idea that like the, the, the job of art is to convey like information. Yeah. And that it's, it needs to be satisfied some preexisting requirements. So it needs to be sort of, all things to all people in a way that it just can't be and and remain art and be specific and yeah, have a story yeah. to tell you can't if you're just conveying information that's uh, that's not art <laughs> no totally and i think i mean some <laughs> that's maybe, da- that's data you know no, like, exactly and that's <laughs> ugh, yuck but um the uh i just on friday went to this um show at the design museum and i'd recommend it to everybody but it's over it was a very like you know mayfly kind of Mm. (laughs) you know 36 hour type of thing but it was called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and it was like various like tons tons dozens of artists each with like one or two pieces responding to like you know lockdown and stuff like Mm. that which sounds to be honest like it could be like a horrible pain cave but was actually well done but my to your point like i because i also like to think about like the intersection of, of of information and art and like what 
you know, how, where's the line and like, where do you cross over from one to the other? And to me, like some people, maybe you know them who are dealing with those questions in a really successful way are the society of smallness. Mm-hmm. It's like Georgina Valverde, um, I think Matt Stone. It's, it's a little small group and they kind of, I, I know about them because they often use typewriters and stuff too. So, oh, okay. you know, fellow typewriter performance artists, but they play like, Georgina's from um, Mexico City and so she you know, which is also kind of like the state's a highly bureaucratic society. And so she plays with this idea of like sort of pretending to be the bureaucracy Mm. and like, but, but, but not pretending like really gathering data Mm -hmm. and then taking what they gather as like this interactive performative component of what they do and then twisting it or shaping it or like putting it in a new light or a different context and like making it art so their thing was they like sent out these surveys these really fun questionnaires that were very cheeky like they were official and really asked questions but they were also like witty and goofy about you know what what did you do during quarantine did you fail at a new project did you succeed and then putting it all up and and it was just it was cool like i i think they're going to put it on their website but it's a fascinating look at like why is this just data and then how did they make it art and I think some people might be like, well, maybe they didn't, you know, but I think yeah. it's fascinating what they're doing. That sounds like, uh, did you see the Ray Johnson show at the Art Institute? No, I missed it. Oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah. But he was sort of the pioneer of male art. Yeah. But he would he would do shit like that all the time. He would send out surveys to all his friends. Yeah, And yeah, all yeah. the surveys were about, like, what do they think of him, of Ray Johnson? <laughs> but it, it's, it's put out, like, in this kind of uh, boilerplate, uh, bureaucratic language. Yeah, it's so yeah, funny. Yeah. I mean, he's just—he was just so witty and hilarious. And well, and he worked a lot in collage, which is like the thing that I've been working on. That was my yeah. lock, lockdown, you know, whatever light bulb thing is right, right. collage. So that that show came along in my life at just the right time. Yeah, like totally. This re, sort of reappraisal, rediscovery of this major, very strange uh, '60s character yeah. uh, 60s yeah. and 70s guy he seems really cool and I'm, I'm sad I missed it and I think I mean too I don't know I just like male art and like kind of that weird you know obviously he's you know the artist but that like collaborative element I guess I'm just really interested now too coming out of this period I hope coming out I hope I hope of yeah. isolation and paranoia yeah. and distrust and all that like we're gonna reaffirm our do you, uh, entanglement <laughs> with each other do you feel like it affected you in a, a lot, like really serious, emotional, or whatever psychological oh, ways? Yeah, for sure. It did. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I think I'm again. It's kind of like generations. I you know hesitate to put a label on myself too, you know, too decidedly. But I think if I'm if I had to pick, I would say I'm an extrovert more than an introvert. I think it's close. Mm. I love a lot yeah, of yeah. alone time. And if you're an artist, you're alone a lot. You have to be. Yeah. But you know, for the most part, that's a blanket statement, but I think it's mostly true. But, um, so I, I, I do love being alone and I do spend a lot of time alone, but I love people and I love seeing old friends and meeting new friends and being in a social setting. And I definitely like, you know, get my energy from that. And so having that utterly taken away from me was like, I, I usually am a big, um, and I know this is polarizing too. I love to make new year's resolutions. I don't mm. care if anyone else does. I'm not saying everyone should, I just get something out of it. So it's the thing I love to do. I think it's because I was raised Catholic, and so it's like confession where you examine your conscience and are really brutally honest with yourself and try to, you know, look in and see if there's anything you want to change. And I, I think you don't have to only do that at New Year's. I get it. Like, people are always like, you could do that anytime. I'm like, I fucking know that, but I just like the ritual. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I normally make them, but in 2020, um, December of 2020, I, I felt like my sense of self, which is so relational had become so just like gauzy and vague huh. i couldn't come up with a new year's resolution i was like i don't know who i am like i mean that sounds but really dramatic were... but i was like i have no idea who i am i can't make a resolution even even though you were i mean i assume you were you spent that time with martin right I mean, yeah he was there yeah with you no totally but i think one person not you know, enough better... not enough for you <laughs> <laughs> no not enough and i think that's you know to not you know sorry not martin to, you know he's like in the other room like, oh, okay you know he knows he knows that um no but i think i do have to say you know i don't want to be like a person who like brags about my relationship or tells other people what to do because yeah. it's, it's super idiosyncratic but i think that is one of the things is like martin and i are really good we're both artists so we spend a lot of time like politely benignly ignoring each other sure and then also doing stuff independently like go, like i went to the show like martin didn't come to the show yeah. i was talking about and it's not like 
No, the two of you, you I mean, knowing, (laughs) knowing the two of you, you two have very, very different energies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it works, you know. Is, is he more apt to, to sort of isolate or? Yes. Yeah. That, he, that would be my guess about him. And yes. I, know, I know you better than I know him, I would say. Yeah. But, uh, my, my instinct about him is that he keeps to himself when given, yeah. the, given his druthers. <laughs> no, totally. He's, he's really, really good at solitude. And I yeah. think that is fortunate, you know, for, for lots of reasons, not just in lockdown, but I think that's yeah. a good thing. We balance each other out. But yeah, no, I had, I, I, I did not do well and I, also hated online teaching. Um, yeah. I hate Zoom. I think you wrote a thing in one of your newsletters about how like you miss people more when you see them on Zoom. Yeah. And you miss them less when you're yeah, just I've, thinking I've, about I've, them. This, this is a, <laughs> that blew this, my mind. I was like, yes. <laughs> this is, is like beating a dead horse in, in my case. But I hate the video conferencing things because those pictures Ugh. are, they all, they look like terrorist uh, ransom videos to me yes. it's like a person confined in a box and i'm no, i no, keep waiting like for their head life. to be cut their head to be cut off or something i know and the fact that the 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 glitchiness and the fact that yeah. the audio is never synced with the no, it's video valley for sure and it's that awful. and people argue that like you know you get social like physical cues but you don't because no, you don't. you're looking at yourself you're not making eye contact with anyone no it's i mean that's horrible. why you know relaunching this talk show thing i absolutely like researched only audio only recording and devices thank you for that when you said like you won't even have to comb your hair i was like okay i'll do yes. it because if there was a video I'd, i was good i would i always i'm like can we just turn that off because it's so yeah. distracting I would do, and it's yeah. so extraneous uh, unless a person uh, insists i always turn the video off when when i'm i do have to stoop to using zoom no totally <laughs> and i think i mean uh, like i i hate zoom so much and i love yeah. but it's like i love the telephone i fell back in love with the telephone you know the fun, funny thing about for me is i hate i always my whole my my whole life hated the telephone really yes uh that's but, surprising but i love doing this and yeah. i love podcast interview podcasts yeah because i think there's a reason for those like there's a stated subject of some sort or like at least a jumping off point mm-hmm. it's yeah. not just uh like to me a a phone call is some kind of invasion of privacy for some reason. Like, Interesting. Or like I'm being interrupted, whereas these yeah, are a scheduled yeah. thing. And, sure. Uh, I like them. But like for me, the, the whole lockdown thing was just a godsend. Really? I was so so productive. It, it removed all the distractions. I got so much done. I learned nothing new about myself except <laughs> uh, how... Good job. <laughs> I, I was very thankful not to be locked in with with anybody. I spent yeah. the whole time by myself. There was a couple oh, of friends man. that early on would have occasional get-togethers uh, of some kind, yeah. you know, and yeah, I would yeah. participate. But I, I I missed very little, uh, which is says something I mean, about me, I guess. But no, uh, totally, and good good for you. Like some people were well suited to it, and I don't. Yeah, I was know. never more productive. Uh, I yeah. sold more art during that time than ever in my life because people were stuck inside and they need to redecorate their hovels. Yeah, totally. No, I bet. I I bet. That's like a boom time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I I have to say that like, I, I also was productive, but I just was miserable. You know, Mm. like I wrote this book and I have to give a shout out to my friend, Kimberly um, Southwick, who put together, I mean, it's ongoing now too. It's national poetry month, right? April's Mm. national poetry month. And a lot of people do that poem a day challenge, you know, right. Um, They write a poem every day in April, which I think is cool. And I'd I'd done it a few times in the past just for kicks. And then, you know, Kim was like, Hey, let's, let's do it. You know, we're in lockdown. We've theoretically got time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds again, to be melodramatic, um, like it saved my life, you know, just in those early days of like, what is happening? Like, how do I even deal with this uncertainty? Like, what do I do? Like just being able in April of 2020 to get up every morning, go to the Google document. Like it was a group of people just through a Google document. Oh, so it's a, it's a book, it's a collaborative book. No, no. So everybody was writing independently, but together. So you'd like go check the prompt Oh, and like a do group, it or not. Writer group. Okay. Yeah, writer group. And then like upload it into the Google Doc for that day. And then we had this sort of casual rule. It wasn't a workshop. There was no feedback like, oh, mm. cut off the stanza, give it a new yeah. title. It was purely positive feedback. Like that was it. It was just people oh. being like, I like this line or like, lol, you know. Um, and it was awesome just to, I, I felt like so much community during that. And I wrote 
like a bunch of poems. I ended up writing like 40 poems. I did more than 30 and, and now it's coming out later this year. It's called Where Are the Snows? And it's coming out with Texas Review Press. And it's oh yeah, I, I looked that up. Uh, yeah. When I was they doing don't the, have the... the very minimal research before yes, this conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have the page up yet on the site, yeah. but it's coming. I have my cover, which is hilarious. But anyway, it. so I, I would say I did, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I would have done without that. Like, I think as much as I was lonely from people, like I would say mm-hmm. art... I think a lot of artists say this, and that's why we do it. But it, it just like got me out of bed in the morning, gave me a reason. To oh, for keep, sure, yeah. Keep going, you know, which I feel it, even not in lockdown. <laughs> so, yeah. but it was intense, you know. No, I mean, but I've I've felt for a long time now that it's really my only reason to draw breath. Like the reason is like I have to make something during yeah. most days, and because that's the way I communicate with the world. Yeah. And it's a weird, it's a stilted, indirect way of doing it, but it's mine. Yeah. You know, like, that's how I do this. No, totally, uh, totally. And, and if I didn't have that, there would be no reason to stick around. And no, I know same. that's an extreme statement, but, like, I don't know. I, I don't love living that as much as a lot of people. Like, it's not, a, like, a pure pleasure for me. It just isn't. No, if, consciousness unless is I'm a productive. bad idea. There was, a, there, was, there was all these fucking think pieces that kind of pissed me off during lockdown. Like consoling people for not being productive yeah like it's it's okay to just be it's like and that no it's not that's my worst (laughs) fucking nightmare like i I don't want to sit alone with my thoughts my thoughts are not good i don't want to think about myself like writing and painting and stuff gets me out of my head not into my head you know like my inside my head is not a happy place to be Exactly. I don't want to be there. I want out. No, totally. I want to connect with something else. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know, like endless solipsism or or self-reflection is not Yeah, I mean, we're all kind of like flawed and imperfect instruments, but the idea is to have things pass through you. Yes. I I firmly, I don't know that I believe in too much like metaphysical stuff, but I I fully believe that I'm some sort of channel for things in that I'm not the originator of the, the, the the stuff that comes out that I, I'm just, it's passing through. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love, yeah. So, I mean, I think maybe that's why you did so well in lockdown. It's like, you were already, you're already connected. Like that's already there for you. I like that. I think, I feel like that's like what people who do like crazy drug trips say they like their big epiphany is like, we're all connected to everything. And I feel like no offense to people who need to do those drug trips. I'm like already with you, (laughs) you know, I'm like, yes, we are. (laughs) Art types uh, for the most part don't need that. I've, I've never been like, I have an ex who in recent years has done the whole vision quest thing. Like she's done like the ayahuasca, like founded you know like whatever these spiritual teachers and stuff and uh i it personally baffles me to no end i don't yeah. know why anybody would do that but yeah, i mean more yeah. power to to them but if it works for you or you if you feel a lack of some kind right i just never have i haven't since i was a kid no uh, totally yeah i think i mean and this might be a good place to like wrap it up one more yeah. recommendation like a thing that i did right before lockdown that I think also like Kim Southwick's poetry group and this got me through in addition to you know Martin and and loved ones and stuff but I think these were like the tools and it was Mm -hmm. um my friend again Logan who I mentioned before we'd always been curious about transcendental meditation Mm -hmm. and so we finally like in December of 2019 we're like okay now it's like we're gonna learn it we're gonna go check it out that shit's expensive see that's the thing I was about to say it's not that's what we always oh, heard not? and it isn't and this is why oh. I want to talk about it okay. Logan and I are always like we sound like we joined a cult we didn't join a cult <laughs> but um, we went in and we like we'd stayed away for so long what's David like, oh, Lynch banging you to say these words that's what I, I know <laughs> I know but they have it it's a sliding scale they yeah. want to make oh, it okay. accessible so you just go in and you self-report your income uh-huh. and they are like here's what we would suggest that you yeah. pay and then if you're like no, I can't, or I don't want to, or I don't think it's <laughs> worth it. They'll be like, okay, like, what yeah. do you want to pay? Yeah. And you could truly, I think, say like, mm, 50 bucks and they'd yeah. be like, okay. Um, but I would say I, like, it was amazing. Like it, it, I don't know. I was skeptical. I was yeah. curious, but also skeptical. And it just like helped so much. But what you said made me think of it. Cause their whole thing is like, you know, it just, it helps you find, not that I needed to find it or didn't have it, but I think it, the way they gave me the vocabulary for it, like the joy in the doing, like mm. TM doesn't try to change you. It just tries to help you like do what you want to do more joyfully, which I'm like. Cool. So are you still doing to... that? Are I you... am. Yeah. I, since I learned it in Every December. Every day? 
<clears throat> every day, twice a day. I do it 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the right. evening. Wow. I love I, cuz I'm a, like I love it cuz it's fun. Like I just want it's to It's a routine, do it. which Yeah. Routine I always am am for. I don't know how people live without them. I mean Yeah. No, totally. And that's, that's, I think why I, I thought yeah. of it. Just, I think it goes very well with art making and very, it's like, it was very in oh, the zone cool. of like, wake up every day, yeah. meditate, do a few light calisthenics, write my poem, you know, and that, that really helped. And then, yeah, I just, I love meditating. So I would say, don't think it's expensive. Um, don't think it's only for celebrities. It was actually, I think both Logan and I felt like it came into our lives at the best possible time. So, so, so does Martin do it too? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, yeah, I feel okay. like I wouldn't say that no one needs to. I think anyone could do it and get a lot out of it. But he, like, you know, anxiety is kind of the gear that I idle in. And uh, he's, okay. he's not like that. <laughs> so right. I feel like it's not as pressing for him. I think I have gotten easier to be around. I, Martin noticed. He's like, not that he's critical of me, but, you know, love is, is criticism yeah. sometimes. And he's like, you're a lot easier to be around since you learned TM. Wow. And I find myself easier to be around <laughs> since I learned TM. So I'll take so it, you know. we can all thank David Lynch once again. Yeah. For another thing for David Lynch and also um, Marianne Williamson, because, like, Logan and I were both oh. a little obsessed with her, like, strange candidacy. And oh. she's, like, a big TM person. So oh, is like, she? Yeah. That's yeah. a that's a bizarre bizarre character. Yeah, yeah, she's I I don't think she should be president, but I think she's so interesting. So, yeah, David Lynch and Marianne Williamson. Maybe here. David Lynch should make a movie about her. I I would absolutely <laughs> watch that documentary. Yeah. But on that note, I should probably hit the road, but this has been awesome. I love this. Yeah, thank you so much and I'll uh I'll let you know when the when it goes up. It it'll be like uh mid-May, mid to late May, I think okay. at this point. Awesome, somewhere around awesome. there but i'll let you know and then i'm gonna hopefully you can shill it to people because yes like, like i said at the top i ain't going back to social media so yes yes no, i'm I will depending shill. totally on word of mouth i will shill and shill so yeah hopefully all the recording came out okay let me know if anything went wrong or you do anything thank else you so, yeah uh, yeah well we'll reproduce we'll make a second conversation exactly like this just one. identical yeah, yeah just the same totally Sweet. organic well, <laughs> all right thanks dimitri have a it, great rest of your tuesday oh you too take care bye, bye. bye.